Bob Main here with another episode of today's survival show, helping you harness the power of choice to live the life that you want and to strengthen your resolve. Our goal is to make survival simple, not extreme, and to thrive today so that you can survive tomorrow. It was an excellent quote by Teddy Roosevelt, and he said, do what you can with what you have wherever you are. And that's kind of what we're all about here. Practical preparedness and practical secure living. And even if you're not the preparedness-minded type, even if you say, you know, I'm not quite so sure if that survivalism stuff is for me, I hope that I can cover some things that are going to appeal to you to at least help you have a better life now because that's what it's all about. And even if nothing goes wrong, at least you're going to benefit from what you're doing. So practical show here. Thank you for tuning in. This is episode 41 or 42, and the reason I'm not sure is I recently just completed an interview with a special guest, and I'm not sure when I'm going to get a chance to post that. So again, that that's probably going to be episode 41. This is probably going to be episode 42, but it could be the other way around. If you are a first-time listener to this show, I'm honored. Thank you very much. You've tuned, tuned into a voice of reason in a chaotic world, and today's show is going to be on low-cost economical steps for getting prepared. I'm really enjoying this book by Andy James called Shoestring Survivalism. And I figured that with the economic situation that we're in today, we can't get enough ideas on low-cost economical ways to uh, better our life. So that's going to be the primary topic. And we're going to talk about Internet resources and classes that you can take and uh, storing some basic uh, food preparations and different ways to communicate. We're also going to talk a little bit about uh, how to inventory your house and organize it, how to safeguard important documents, things like that. Even uh, talk about what to talk, what to teach your kids and, and teaching your kids some safety skills. So most of this stuff doesn't cost anything, and if it does have a cost, it's very small. So before I jump into the main topic, let me get a couple of announcements out of the way. Let's talk about the forum, first of all. Up to about 260 members already. Had to clean out a few spammers out of there. Just part of the part of what comes with the territory when you have a forum, but get involved in our forum today, survival.com slash forum. Excellent like minded people that want to share some ideas with you. And then also don't forget about our Survival Activist Club contest, SAC contest. Three forum members right now. We need to get more folks. Get active. Alright? This is how we affect change is by getting active. I'll just leave it at that. You can go to the main page or you can go to the forum and you can see our SAC contest. Rules, excellent 
prize that I'm going to give away on December 20th. And uh, Knives and Gear, our sponsor for today, has also sweetened the pot a little bit. He's added a pretty cool survival tool to the iPod that I'm going to be giving away. So a nice package you'll get just before Christmas by getting active. And, of course, today's uh, show sponsor, Knives and Gear, Jeff Lytle, uh, knivesandgear.com. And then also Personal Senior Monitoring. Don't forget about those folks as well. Both of these have been sponsors from day one, doing a real good job of helping me keep this show going. And the last announcement that I want to cover is I hope that you have benefited from these shows in some way. Uh, after 42 episodes, uh, hopefully I've given you some things to think about. If you feel like this has impacted your life in a positive way and you can make a small donation to the show, I'd very much appreciate that. I'm not going to beg and I'm not going to force you to do it and I'm not going to put a hard sell or anything like that. There are a few costs associated with keeping this thing going and I'd like to keep on bringing you some good information and keep the forum going. So if you feel that it's in your heart to make a kind donation, that would be great. Even if it's a small amount, I'd be eternally grateful. You can just go to the main page and click the donate button and then go from there. Also want to say happy Thanksgiving to all of you. Like I said, I'm not sure when I'm going to post this. It might be Wednesday. It could be the day after Thanksgiving on Friday. But nonetheless, we have a lot to be thankful for. So happy Thanksgiving to all of you who I consider my friends. Okay, uh, let's dive into the main topic. Online resources for finding information. How do we get on the internet and find stuff that can help us get prepared? Well, obviously, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about this podcast and our forum, right? But let's talk about some other sites as well. Uh, on the internet, you can get onto FEMA and Homeland Security websites. Both of them are pretty good. They have some pretty good information on there. And if you want to maintain a low profile, uh, there's hundreds of thousands of people that do it this way. They just get on FEMA. They just get on Homeland Security. Uh, just start reading. FEMA.gov and then the Homeland Security website, excellent. And you can also do on the internet what's called a HIVA search, a HIVA search, HIVA internet search. What that is, is it lets you determine what threats are in your area. If, for example, you're just still not quite sure, what could affect me in my area? Do a hazard identification and vulnerability analysis. And Andy James talks about this in Chapter 4 of his book, you pick your area. You do that uh, hazard identification vulnerability analysis. I did it for Texas. I went onto that uh, website and I put in Texas Texas hazard identification. I got plenty of info as to what can happen not only in my state but in my local area. Another thing you can do is when you get to the FEMA website, FEMA.gov, uh, there's a search bar in FEMA.gov. Just type in the words, are you ready? On FEMA.gov, in the search area, type, are you ready? You'll be amazed. You'll get all kinds of good disaster preparation information just by typing that in. And I'm going to put a link in the show notes to uh, uh, that Internet uh, site where you can just type in, are you ready, on FEMA.gov. You'd be amazed what you found, uh, what you find on there. And remember how in one of my shows I was talking about uh, family communications and communicating and setting up a meeting place with family members if there's a, a disaster and things like shutting off the utility uh, if there's a, utilities in your house if there's a disaster and insurance company interaction and vital records and caring for animals and things like that. All that is on the Are You Ready page on FEMA.gov. So check that out. I think you'd be very impressed. 
Okay. Uh, the next thing you can do, taking classes. Many times uh, taking classes are free. Police and fire departments offer them all the time. Town hall uh, meetings. Uh, sometimes you'll see announcements at the town hall meetings where they'll have some kind of a survival or preparedness meeting. Libraries uh, post announcements all the time. Churches and emergency volunteer groups offer a lot of free courses as well. They'll offer a lot of first aid courses, emergency preparedness courses. Some are free, some are low cost. Knowledge is power, folks. And the more training you can get, I'm a training junkie. And I really believe that uh, getting in, in, in classes and, and doing things and searching ideas out on the internet, just basically talking to people. Now, you, the internet, you know, you got to be careful sometimes. There are some people that like to, um, you know, throw out a bunch of garbage on the internet. But I think you can use your discernment to figure out what's what. As far as taking classes, they're usually going to be put on by uh, the author- the local authorities, EMTs, especially for taking a, a first aid course. Uh, very experienced people. And again, like I said, for not much money, put it on your Christmas list. Uh, you know, if there's a class you want to take it costs a little bit of extra money you know ask somebody to put it on your christmas list to get a visa gift card or a mastercard uh, gift card so you can go uh, take one of these classes okay uh, another low cost that uh low cost activity you could do storing basic food in everyday necessities you know i've talked about this so much but there is an example that i want to talk about because some people say well why store food you know gosh bob it just seems a little drastic storing food uh in the book Sur- uh, shoestring survivalism in chapter four andy talks about the rice panic of april 2008 let me tell you about that in april 2008 there was an example of a panic situation and in how the world's problems can affect us locally in april 08 the associated press reported that rice futures reached an incredible high of $24.82, which was up from just $0.67 in July of 07, less than a year or approximately a year before that. So they jumped from $0.67 to $24.82. The AP also reported that Sam's and Costco were limiting rice sales. And all of a sudden, that dirty word popped out, rationing. Started that word started getting thrown around. That's pretty much all it took. It caused a panic. Panic buying. Panic buying started, and it didn't matter that there was not really a rice shortage in the United States. The panic buying still happened, and uh, for anybody that was interested in buying their normal amount of rice at that time, it wasn't there. The shelves were empty. People were rushing the stores to buy rice. It was a false panic. There was no shortage. I think we've kind of seen a similar event with ammunition recently. Right after the elections in November, people thought, oh no, the government's going to start clamping down on ammunition sales are going to start restricting everything all of a sudden what do we have a rush to the gun stores a rush to the gun shows ammunition panic buying drove the cost up you know it was kind of a um, a false panic not to say that they're not going to limit ammunition sales in the in the near future coming up but i think most people thought at that point it was going to happen overnight oh no i'm not going to be able to get any ammunition driving the price up 
there was not really an ammunition shortage. It was too high of a demand. The demand got so high that the normal production runs for most of the ammo companies, they couldn't keep up with it. Again, these are the kinds of things that can all of a sudden hit us when we're not expecting it. Reasons to store food, the rice panic of April 2008. And because of the virtual light speed of communications today, especially with the internet, any type of an event like this, even if it's misreported, like in this case, it can cause a false panic. And then it causes a real shortage that never existed before. All we have to do is go all the way back to 1973. Remember The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson? Johnny made a joke one night about a shortage of toilet paper. Made that joke on his show. People actually believed it. And the next day, they rushed to the grocery stores and bought as much TP as they could carry. Not There was no shortage of TP, folks, but people are sheep. Right? They, they just they, they believe stupid stuff like that. And panic causes problems. So storing basic stuff, more than just disasters, there can, there can be these false reports like this that cause panic situations, and that means you've got to put stuff away to hedge against those kinds of ridiculous events. Now, another low cost. This is, this is very much overlooked. And one of our forum members, actually a couple of our forum members have talked about this, and that is doing an inventory of what you have on hand. Finding out what you already have. I don't care if you don't go out and spend one more penny on preparations. Inventory, find out what you have in your house already and organize it. Determine what you own in the way of some of the simple items. What flashlights do you have? Do you have any sleeping bags? Camp stoves? How much duct tape do you have? You can do a lot with duct tape. Do you have any canvas? Do you have any nail and staple guns? Plywood? Canned food? Boxed food? Dried food? As we talked about, ammunition and firearms. How about jumper cables? You have a jack for your car? First aid supplies? Batteries? Organize them all. Figure out what you have. Label them. Figure out what you're short on. Just by the simple process of identifying what you have, it lets you know also where everything is. What if you have a power outage? It's pretty good to start committing to memory what you have and where you have it in your house. If you can put some things in a central area, some of your supplies, you have a power outage, it's pitch pitch black, you know how to find your supplies easier. It's also going to let you figure out creative ways to use some of the things that you have. I'm going to do a show coming up probably next week. I'm reading another book that talks about creative ways to organize your house and creative ways to get the most out of what you have. So I'm just going to leave it at that, but you are going to get a show from me coming up on how to organize effectively. All right, so think about that. Now, let's also talk about safeguarding important documents. Some of the examples of things that you need to be safeguarding are social security cards, uh, contracts, how about mortgage papers, or uh, here's something a lot of folks don't think about. How about uh, if, unfortunately, you're one of those folks that have had to go through a divorce, how about your divorce decree? That paperwork can be very critical if you have to substantiate what you've got coming uh, to you at a later date. Uh, Your birth certificates, obviously, passports. For you veterans who have served our country honorably, keep your military records and thank you for your service. Receipts for large items that you bought. Uh, 
How about multiple photographs and fingerprints of your family members? One of the reasons you want to keep photographs, fingerprints, family members, if they're, they show up missing, unfortunately, we hate to talk about things like that. And, you know, receipts for large items, filing insurance claims, if you have a fire, if you have a flood, if you're in your house is subject to in an area where you got mudslides and you're wiped out, you need to have these things recorded so you can make claims more effectively. Another thing you might want to do, doesn't cost anything, take some up-to-date videos of all your possessions. Get a digital camera out that uh, has a video camera feature and start just taking some videos and storing it on an SD card and putting that away in your safe deposit box as well. Video your furniture, uh, video your weapons so that you know what you've got and you can prove what you've got. Put put that video, like I said, on a flash drive or an SD card and store that away. If you got a fire safe, you might want to put it in there. Also, get a safe deposit box. Mine costs, I think, about like 64 65 bucks a year. Safe deposit boxes at the bank, worth every penny. Uh, they don't cost much. Excellent place to keep these important papers and important documents. I would suggest that you probably not get a safe deposit box at a bank within a mile or two of your house. Pick one that's a little bit further away. If the if the disaster that hits you is more localized, you know you got less chance of the uh, uh, of the bank taking a big hit, and maybe maybe you can't get into the bank if there's some kind of a disaster. Maybe they've locked it out, locked it down. And one thing I'll say about safe deposit boxes, um, I made this mistake. Freaked me and my wife out real bad one time. And I don't want it to happen to you. Keep the keys for your safe deposit box on your person. We didn't do that. We lost ours. And it was they were missing for quite some time. Keeping the keys on your person, in my humble opinion, reduces the likelihood of them getting lost. And if you do lose your keys... The bank can drill out that lock on your safe deposit box. You'll have to pay a fee, but they can drill it out. You can get in and get your stuff. You also might want to think about sending a copy of your safe deposit box key to a trusted relative that's out of state. Or you can at least tell them where you've hidden uh, the extra key. But it's a good idea to just send them one. Uh, that way you could save having to pay the bank that fee of drilling out your lock. The reason I'm going over some of this stuff, the purpose, is because it makes it easier for you to rebuild your life. After a disaster hits, rebuilding your life is one of the toughest things that you're going to go through. And I've actually, I know people who have gone through it. It's not a pretty sight. The more records you have of your possessions that were wiped out, the easier it's going to be to start making claims and putting things back in order. Now... Let's talk about our kids for a minute. As you know, I like to keep this show pretty family-oriented, and kids are one of my passions. And, you know, we're training the next generation of survivalists, folks, by teaching our kids. They listen to us. They model themselves after us. So let's make sure that what we're teaching them is good preparedness skills. Let's first of all start off with teaching them phrases, th phrases that will help keep them safe. Let's talk about the obvious one first, stranger danger. We've all heard that, right? It's a standard safety phrase that we teach our kids, but all kids could use a little bit of reminding of what stranger danger means. You also might want to teach them another uh, phrase called run and hide uh, in case an intruder is in the house. Set up a prearranged hiding place. 
I've also seen this called a safe room. We have a safe room. I'm not going to get into a lot of details, but we have a safe room in our house. Our son is taught, if we have an intruder that busts in, run and hide. Go to the safe room. You also might want to teach him the concept of drop and take cover in case of a shooting. And again, talk to them about this. Now, I know this is negative. You might be thinking, oh, I don't want to have this kind of conversation with my kids. I know you don't. None of us want to have the kind of, these kinds of conversations with our kids, but by doing so, you'll get them thinking. And I'm not saying have a conversation like this with them every week, but you know, go over this two or three times a year. Teach them what drop and take cover means. Show them where to take cover. Show them what dropping down to the ground and moving behind cover so that they cannot be seen if someone starts shooting and how that makes them uh, less of a target when they're out of the view of an attacker. And teach them things like what's the difference between cover and concealment. You know, teach them things like a car or a wall is cover. A bush is concealment. A bush is not going to provide them cover. It's not going to stop bullets from flying, so so to speak. But it is going to conceal them and, and make them out of sight from the attacker. So teach kids things like that. Don't hold this stuff back from them. You might want to teach them things uh, if there's a fire in the house. Things like don't hide, stay low, check the door, get out fast, and meet. All right? That means in case there's a fire, it means never hide from a fire. That's what the don't hide means. Stay low means stay below the smoke and below the fumes. Check the door means check to see if it's hot. Get out of the house fast. And then meet means go to our designating meeting place. And you need to discuss where, where are you going to meet after the fire? How are you going to be able to uh, make sure everybody's okay and everybody's accounted for? Where is that place going to be? Is it going to be at a neighbor's house? If so, which neighbor? And obviously discuss with your neighbors in advance. Also discuss with your kids the importance of uh, mapping out key locations. And actually sit down and do this with them. Uh, print Google Maps and show them how, on a map, how to get to their school. And you might think, well, they walk to school. They know how to get there. Let them see it on a map. That could provide very useful if there's some kind of a regional uh, disaster or local disaster in uh, your area. And what if they got to get home from school and it's, it's not, you know, a, a tornadoes come through and, and ravage the place. To a kid, remembering those street signs when they're stressed out like that and, and following the streets that they have to follow to get home, that can provide very useful information. Show them how to get to places like Grandma's house. Show them how to get to your work place using street maps. Again, print them out on Google Maps. And have kids pay attention where you're going while you're driving. Uh, have them pay attention to landmarks. Have them pay attention to street signs. Make sure they become familiar with all that stuff on the way to your workplace. You never know. They could be in a situation where you could be at work. They could be at home. A disaster strikes. Uh, somebody's going to bring them to meet you at your job, and but they don't know. They're not real sure where you work. Perhaps your kids can say, "Hey, I remember how to get to dad's dad's uh, workplace because he showed it to me on the map. These are the streets that we have to take to get there." And something else you might want to think about: What if a disaster happens while you're driving and you become disoriented as the driver? Sometimes family members and even kids might be able to help you find your, find your way to wherever you're going because you've discussed this with them in advance and you've shown them on the map and you've talked about those landmarks. 
Talk about designated evacuation areas. If you're in a flood or a mudslide or whatever, uh, or a hurricane, where are you going to go? Have this pre-planned in advance. Another thing I want to talk about is communications. If there's some kind of a, uh, a disaster. Do you have multiple ways to contact your family and friends? Um, you may have heard this before, but something that a lot of us don't think about. Have both a cordless and the old-fashioned plug-in wall phones. I threw all mine away uh, like a dummy and ended up buying a cheap $10 plug-in wall phone. Uh, remember, they don't need power to work. Local service might be down, but sometimes a long distance could still be working too, so don't forget that. Um, and if the power's down, you've still got the plain old plug-in wall phone that'll work. Have the numbers of the out-of-state relatives um, handy as well. Especially if it's your kids that are going to have to uh, make the phone calls. Teach them how easy it is and where, where to find the um, phone numbers for out-of-state relatives. If you can't make the phone call and your kids have to, that could provide very useful for them to be able to easily find those numbers. I also want to talk about emergency codes. Develop code systems that don't require power to convey them. Simple things like how about putting a uh, certain color cloth in your window uh, or, or a certain different colored tape, for example. And you might do things like this. You might say, well, a green cloth or a green piece of tape means that everything is fine. If there's a disaster, that means it's okay, it's safe to come in here. Red, obviously, danger, don't come in. You could have a blue piece of cloth hanging in the window. Blue might say, okay, this means we're not home. Go to the neighbors, uh, the, the, the prearranged meeting place that we set up. Things like that. Don't completely rely on technology. Have simple things like this that you can put in the window that'll tell your kids or tell your relatives what it means when this is hanging there. And these days, with all the technology we have, I know I've talked about uh, modern technology using them as survival tools. Don't rely completely on it, but uh, don't forget things like text messaging can sometimes still be working after a disaster, even if the uh, actual cell phone service is down. Text messaging runs on a different part of the network. Oftentimes, oftentimes that's still up and running, but that's your backup. Now, another subject I want to talk about, something that uh, I deal with almost every day. Home security, because of the business that I'm in. I'm going to make a couple suggestions. Now, these, these suggestions cost some money, not much, but they cost a little bit, so organize your finances. But I, I really think that these are critical. First of all, the obvious, smoke detectors. Have plenty of them, regularly test them. My rule of thumb, the Bob Main rule of thumb for smoke detectors, have at least one for each bedroom, one outside of each bedroom, excuse me, and have at least one for each floor. So in my house, I've got uh, three bedrooms upstairs, I've got three smokes up there, I've got one bedroom downstairs, and that's got me covered. I've got, it's a two-story house, so I've got smokes upstairs and down. Also, I really think you need to have one in the kitchen area as well. I'm a big fan of monitored smoke detectors if you can afford it. If you have a security system, get monitored smoke detectors uh, put in. You also get a better insurance discount, folks, if you have monitored smoke detectors. Most insurance companies will give you an extra 5% off of your, your insurance bill. Above and beyond the normal 15% they're going to give you for a... Um, uh, monitored security system. So typically about 20%, maybe a little bit less, give or take a couple percent. That helps offset some of the monitoring charges. Why monitored 
smoke detectors? Pretty simple answer. Uh, you don't have to worry about it even if you're not home. The fire department's going to be call called. Could save your house. Also, I would also recommend carbon monoxide detectors, especially those of you who live um, in the northern United States uh, or some of you in other countries that are listening, my international listeners, if you live in, um, uh, in the northern regions of the world, carbon monoxide, especially if you've got furnaces and so forth, heating your houses regularly. CO detectors, the odorless, colorless, tasteless, killer gas. Again, I would strongly suggest uh, at least a couple of good CO detectors. And by the way, I've had people ask me, where do I monitor, where do I mount carbon monoxide detectors? I've seen people put carbon monoxide detectors on the ceiling. And why? Because that's where smoke detectors typically go, and people think, well, the CO detector needs to go there too. I strongly recommend against that. Reason being is carbon monoxide is heavier than air. Okay, so what's going to happen to carbon monoxide? It's going to sink. And carbon monoxide is a gas that generally collects down low uh, near the floor in your house. So put your CO detectors, rule of thumb, if you're putting one in the bedroom area, make it about head height when you're laying on your bed. That way it's going to pick up on the carbon monoxide gas and it's going to alert you in time. If you put that thing on the ceiling, that room's going to have to practically be filled up with carbon monoxide before that thing's going off. It's too late. You're dead by then. Carbon monoxide detectors about three and a half feet or so roughly off the floor. Uh, surge protectors. Next thing I want to talk about. Make sure you got plenty of those to protect your electronic gear, your computers and stuff. Okay. Another thing I want you to think about, have you identified safe areas in your house? Uh, where are you going to go if there's a storm, home invasion? Uh, typically safe areas, things like walk-in closets, bathrooms without windows, uh, a certain hallway if it's pretty fortified. The other thing you might want to consider is uh, when, you're, when you're considering safe areas in your house, clear your hallways of tripping hazards. Uh, you know, we always talk about, uh, tell our kids, pick up all your toys. There's another good reason to teach kids, pick up all your toys. Kids have a tendency to leave them in the hallways. It's a tripping hazard. What if your power goes out and you're trying to make your way through your house? There's toys everywhere and small furniture everywhere. Dangerous situation. Also, uh, keep a pair. Of, uh, now, this is something that until I read this article, I didn't do, but now I do it. Keep a pair of slippers or house shoes, and a flashlight near each bed. I used to keep the flashlight, but I didn't have the slippers um, near the bed. The reason for that is stepping on glass is one of the most frequent causes of injury after a natural disaster. So think about that. You also might want, might want to make sure that everybody in your family knows how to operate all the doors, all the windows, the knobs, and the latches in case you need to escape out from inside your house. Okay, uh, back to home security for a minute. A simple home security check. Check your locks. Um, have you reinforced those locks with longer screws? The locking hardware. All right. Have you taken those uh, piece of junk little quarter-inch screws out? And have you purchased some inch-and-a-half screws and 
reinforced your locks by using screws that go all the way into the 2x4 in the door frame. Is your security system working properly? Check that. How about your windows? They all locked like they're supposed to be? You'd be amazed uh, the number of break-ins that still occur today. And I see this all the time because I sell to a lot of security alarm contractors, the, the, the products that I represent. People are still leaving their windows unlocked. And that's how a lot of thieves are getting in, a lot of burglars. Okay, and since we're on the subject of, of home security, a few more things I want to talk about. It's important that you know that, that seeing your enemy coming is incredibly important. If there is some kind of a stink-hit-the-fan situation, uh, knowing if you've got looters and rioters that are coming and being able to detect them from afar is an important ability to have. What you want to try to do is you want to try to force your enemy into a bottleneck and slow them down. Now, what I'm going to talk about next costs some money, but if you shop around, you can find some decent deals on it. You might want to think about a uh, CCTV system, a, a closed-circuit uh, TV, closed-circuit camera system for your house and for your driveway. There's a company called Aphone. Aphone's actually a competitor of mine, but they're very good. I can't knock them. They make excellent products. They make real good front door cameras. Uh, and doorbell cameras and things so you can see who's at the door. Uh, I'll put a link in the show notes for a good A phone system. They've got a three camera phone system for a few hundred bucks. Again, you know, save your money. These are the types of things, these kinds of preparations can prove very, very valuable. Especially, you're going to want to know who's at that door. If there's a stink hit the fan, you're in the aftermath of it, people are, are panicking, authorities are coming to your door and so forth. That camera system is will be worth its weight in gold at that point. So as I bring the show, as I start to wrap it up here, I want to give you a few things to think about in defending your castle. Your home's your castle. Defend it, especially if you're going to be bugging in in a disaster. If you don't have anywhere to go, you don't have a bug out location to go, here's some things to think about uh, when defending your home. First of all, creating standoff space. Standoff space is the visible distance between your home and the perimeter of some sort. And the more standoff space that you can create, more is better in that situation. In other words, if you have a perimeter fence, how much standoff space do you have between the fence and your home? Okay, and I mentioned, the next thing I want to mention is visibility. I mentioned cameras earlier. If cameras are not financially possible for you, consider things like one-way blinds or pull-downs. You also want to think about deterring. How are you going to deter invaders? Dogs, obviously. I've talked about that in previous shows. Uh, cameras. How about motion lights? One of our forum members uh, made a post about the motion lights that he's got. Motion detectors that are flipping on lights. Lights are a, lot, are a big deterrent that a lot of people forget about. At nighttime, criminals don't want to be seen. Lights can easily deter them. Fences, obviously, barbed wire fences, always a good deterrent. As I mentioned, heavy locks, steel doors, bars on windows, things like that. Uh, and, of course, security systems, signs and stickers in the front yard, big deterrent. Uh, now, a couple things I want to say about the perimeter, uh, because I mentioned that before. Having a high fence is great, and it's going to give you more time to stop an intruder, uh, and it's, especially if you've got to shoot him. If he's got to get over that fence, it's going to take him longer. Motion detectors work great, and the ones with spotlights, the motion detectors, I've got two of these in my house. Those are even better. So think about that, and of course, you've got to think about defense. How are you going to defend your home? 
What kind of firearms do you have? How about things like slingshots, knives, crossbows, bats? Remember all those things I talked about in that one podcast where I talked about uh, uh, self-defense without a gun, pepper spray, mace, tasers. Make those part of your uh, preps as well. Traps, human traps. Don't forget to think about things like logistics. there is some something to be said for beans, bullets, and band-aids. Always maintain at least, bare minimum, I think, at least a 30-day supply of food and water. Some of us have a lot more than that stored, but I think that's your minimum right there. Set your first goal of two weeks, but get to that 30-day minimum as soon as possible. Uh, medical supplies, books, uh, gear, spare batteries, things like that, all part of your logistic planning. Don't forget about communication planning uh, if you're inside your house and a lot of communication systems break down. Things like radios, uh, two-way radios is what I'm talking about. Ham radios, CBs, base station CBs. Like I mentioned, the, uh, the hardline plain old telephone system. And you know, I just got reminded of something. Uh, talking about a plain old telephone system. So many households today, I think, are making a critical mistake. So many of them are going cellular only. You know, and from a convenience and a cost standpoint, that might be good, but maintaining a plain old landline. You can get limited use landlines for like 10 bucks a month plus tax where it's limited use. I don't care if you don't want to ever make a call on it. Just have it there for emergency purposes. With a uh, what, what if cell phone service is knocked out, but the landlines are still working? If, you, if you've gone completely cellular, you're screwed in that situation. You don't have a phone. You're going to have to resort to your backup communication. And uh, the next thing in... Home security, obviously, your evacuation plan. Do you have a plan to evacuate? Have you rehearsed it with your family? Have you established rallying points not far from your home so that you and your family can meet up there? Have you practiced it? Do you run drills practicing it? And the last, but certainly not least, on home security is what I call safe haven. And it's what Andy talked about in that book. It's often overlooked, but it's a great idea to have a single room, oftentimes a big closet. We've got a huge closet in our house that can be used. We do use it as an excellent safe haven. And in that safe haven, it's a place where you and your family can pretty much make your last stand or at least hole up there and start your defense mechanisms in place. Having everything in there that you would normally keep in your regular supply, um, your regular supply stash, things like guns, lots of ammo, food, water, your bug out bag, uh, your communication gear, your safe haven needs to be like a Fort Knox. It needs to be something that's got, you might want to put some uh, reinforced doors. If it's a huge closet, you might want to change out the closet door and put in a reinforced hardline door. The main purpose of this safe haven inside your house is so you can make sure that you've got some way to buy some time while intruders are beating down your door. And when they do beat it down, you can unleash hell on them, okay? That's pretty much what that's all about. Let them have it and reload if you need to. You know, don't don't forget, that could likely be your last stand, so make it a good one.
Okay, so with that, I hope I got you thinking about some low-cost economical steps. There's more. Uh, I'll save that for another show, but I hope I got you thinking about how to use the Internet to start uh, creating your preparations, what classes to take, uh, what documents to safeguard, what to put away, what skills and, and words and phrases to teach your kids and code words and meeting places and things like that, uh, communication systems and, and how to safety check your house and what kinds of devices like smoke detectors and COs and where to mount them and creating safe havens and and uh, standoff space and things like that, deterrence for your house. All these are low-cost methods, and many of them are free. So I wanted to try to remove some excuses today. A lot of people come up with excuses saying, well, I, I, you know, I, I don't have the time, I don't have the money to prepare. Little by little, we're going to try to remove some excuses so that uh, eventually you can't say no. Eventually you have to bop yourself on the head and say, okay, this stuff doesn't cost anything, doesn't cost much money to do it. I really need to start doing it. So with that, I'm going to bring this episode to a close. And you've just listened to another episode of today's Survival Show, where we help you harness the power of choice to live the life that you want, create options for yourself, and in the cases that we talked about today, strengthen your resolve if a disaster happens. Our goal here in this show is to make survival simple, not extreme, thrive today so that you can survive tomorrow. So I am Bob Main. I'm your host, and thank you for listening. Catch you next time. <laughs>